Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, January 28th, 2022. This is my first podcast of the new year since January 1st, and it's good to be back after a bit of a break. It was on this day in 1845 that Edgar Allan Poe first published his poem, The Raven. It was also on this day in 1861 that Kansas became the 34th state of the United States, entering the Union as a free state after the great conflict of the bleeding Kansas crisis between pro-abolitionists and pro-slave forces flooding the state to try and stack the vote in exercising popular sovereignty to determine whether or not the new state would be slave or free. It was on this day in 1861 that the state of Kansas became the 34th state and a free state. It was also on this day in 1986, a day I remember well, when the space shuttle Challenger exploded after lifting off, killing all seven astronauts aboard, including the first civilian to be taken into space. As we're in a newer liturgical year, we began the new liturgical year of 2022 on the first Sunday of Advent, but as we are now entering into the post-Advent Christmas season of ordinary time, the gospel readings that we hear on Sunday are taken predominantly from the Gospel of Luke, and I wanted to talk a little bit about one featured story we see in the Gospel of Luke that I think speaks to us pretty much in any walk of life, but especially for those of us who have the task of living the faith that we profess and especially trying to live a life of virtue and faith in a very secular world. And the passage is of Jesus' debut in the Gospel of Luke, and he has that debut of his ministry, that inaugural event of his ministry, in his own hometown of Nazareth. And in that encounter with his people, we see various reactions that the people have to Jesus, and I find it interesting that it pretty much runs the gamut of how people can react to any of us who try to manifest, live, and promote a certain value system, especially in a society that is uh, that runs contrary to much of those values and much of those principles. I'm not going to read the entire passage, but getting to the points that I want to make, getting to the point of the story that I want to convey, uh, it begins where Jesus is coming to Nazareth and goes to the synagogue, and it's midway through the fourth chapter in the Gospel of Luke. And he comes to Nazareth and goes to the synagogue, and the book of the prophet Isaiah is presented to him, and he unrolls it, finds the passage where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor, etc., etc., etc. And when he's finished, it says, Rolling up the scroll... He gave it back to the assistant and sat down. Now, here's where we start getting the reaction of people to Jesus in this occasion. It says, all in the synagogue had their eyes fixed on him. So they were all on the edge of their seats. They were waiting in rapt anticipation to what he is going to say. Then he began by saying to them, today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. We're all familiar with the story. We've heard it before. But do we pay attention to the people's reaction? It goes on. All who were present spoke favorably of him. They marveled 
at the appealing discourse which came from his lips. But they also asked, Is not this Joseph's son? And then, of course, he responds to that skepticism that some were expressing, in which he gives the proverb, Physician, heal yourself, and then states, No prophet gains acceptance in his native place. And after he gives two examples from the Old Testament in which of all the widows in Israel, Elijah went to uh, a widow of Zarephath, a foreign widow, during the drought, and she looked after Elijah's needs. She, he talks about Elisha curing Naaman, the Syrian, not any Israelite lepers, but a foreign leper. Elisha, the successor to Elijah, cures him. And of course, him pointing out that sometimes God does not choose his chosen people to show his mercy. It says, at these words, the whole audience in the synagogue was filled with indignation. They rose up and expelled him from the town, leading him to the brow of the hill on which it was built, and intending to hurl him over the edge. But he went straight through their midst and walked away. So what do we have in this passage? We have four different reactions of the people to this debut, this inaugural appearance of Jesus' ministry following his temptation in the desert and his baptism. Their eyes were fixed on him with anticipation. They spoke highly of him. They showed skepticism of his credibility. Isn't this the son of Joseph? We kind of know that story, how Mary became pregnant before she was married and Joseph acknowledged that this child was his. We know that story, don't we? Isn't this Joseph's son? And then, of course, they rose up with indignation, rage. And isn't that the case with the church all throughout history, and even with many of us today? And not just people of a Christian faith, but anyone who tries to live solid standards within a society such as ours. But especially people of a religious faith, and in particular, a Christian faith, and for us as Catholics we get all four of those reactions from what we stand for. Even as a priest, I can say I've experienced all four of those reactions. I finish reading the gospel, and people wait to hear what I'm going to say. I even had a letter of complaint one time in a previous assignment in which the writer of the complaint said, as a point of negativity about me, he says, the people are on the edge of their seats because they just don't know what Father Bill is going to say next. To which, when it was read to me by the vicar for clergy, I said, wow, he just called me the Alfred Hitchcock of preachers. That's not such a bad thing. They were waiting in rapt anticipation. Then they spoke highly of Jesus. And of course, we all hope that people speak highly of us. I know I've had people speak highly of me. I know of other priests, teachers, heck, politicians, public figures, peers speak highly of me. But there are also those who approach us with skepticism. Well, who is he? Who are they? Who is she? We know their background. Isn't this that church that had scandals not too far back? Isn't this that church that had some corrupt bishops, even a pope or two in its history? Isn't this that church that promotes slavery for people who are ignorant of the history of both the church and the history of slavery and other things that they think the church promotes? People will approach us with skepticism. And then there are those who hear what we preach, the values we emulate, what we stand for, which are so contrary to what they wish to emulate and the lives they wish to lead, 
that it leads to a vehement anger against us, against priests, teachers, the community at large of the church. We actually experience all four of those reactions, anticipation, praise, skepticism and questioning of our credibility, and anger and rage. Jesus experienced all four of those in his first episode of his ministry, and he experienced them from his own people, the people of Nazareth. And what strikes me in this is, as we go through life, living our faith, living the values we want to emulate, whether it be as Catholics or as Americans, which has Christianity at its very heart as a society, something that I could remind people that might lead to a certain degree of anger and rage, but it is true, we are at heart a Christian society, and we try and live those values as Americans, as Christians, we will have people reacting in all four ways. Anticipation. What will the church have to say about something? What will the priest say? How will he address certain aspects and certain issues in our society? Or certain issues that we as individuals or as families are facing. We may like what we hear. People may like what is heard. Especially when it's affirming of their viewpoint. But when it isn't affirming of their viewpoint, because for so many people they're not looking for guidance, they're looking for approval, then they want to break down the credibility of Christianity, the credibility of America and American values, the credibility of us as Catholics. And a lot of times they do it by reminding us of various aspects of our history, recent and past. And then there are those who respond with great rage. And the important thing to remember is we need to be comfortable with all four reactions. We can't be aiming simply for the more preferable ones. We certainly hope people respond positively and speak highly of us. It certainly is nice when those observing us or those knowing us have a certain degree of anticipation of what we might say or what we might stand for with regard to a certain issue or just a certain mode of living, a certain value system. There's a certain anticipation for what the Holy Father might say or what our local bishop or pastor or what a particular family we know who is a very devout Christian family might say. Anticipation of what we might say is good because it shows they value our input within this society, and within our communities. But we also need to be able to face the skepticism of our credibility and those who seek to tear down our credibility for whatever means. We need to be able to face that. For example, with regard to the church. They say, well, isn't that the church that promoted the Crusades? Well, do they know what the Crusades were? That's why I always tell people, know the history know our history as a nation and our history as a church. Well, isn't that the country that was founded on slavery? We need to know how to answer that. And we need to accept the possible skepticism and the possible attacks on our credibility. And we need to be ready for them. And we are ready for them by knowing history, by knowing ourselves, by knowing our faith. Isn't that the church that doesn't believe in evolution? Well, not this Christian faith, but we have to know. 
What is our church's position on such things as science? Do they even know that the Catholic Church is the mother of modern science? I, that's one uh, debate I always like to have when people try to tear down our credibility by saying, well, we're a faith that doesn't believe in science. I say, <laughs> we're a faith that invented it. It's because of the Christian faith that we believe in a God who created us and put his laws into his creation, and we discover those laws through the scientific method of studying nature, studying the creation, and other such issues that people bring up out of ignorance of our faith, our history, as a church, as a nation, and so on, we need to be able and ready to face those times when people seek to discredit our credibility as a people of faith who preach the gospel, who live and emulate a value system that is at times very contrary to the value systems of the progressive secular world today. And last but not least, we need to be able to deal with and be comfortable with the anger that is caused. We know we're, right now we are living in a very hysterical time in which people don't want to debate. They simply call you names and they shut you up, or at least they try to. They cancel you. Ergo, the term cancel culture. People don't want to have an argument because they don't want to be bothered with facts. They've made their decisions, they have their opinions, and woe betide anyone who contradicts them because they are just, and throw in your adjective, the name people like to call us, bigots, racists, homophobes because of our sexual ethics, sexists, you name it. And the rage that it causes simply because we are living the life that Christ taught us to live and work those values into the society in which we are living. We need to be comfortable with the fact that there may be people among us who will get very angry at what we stand for, what we preach, the values we emulate. And when we're able to do that, then we can more effectively face them, stand straight and strong, and like Jesus, have a response. And if you notice, his response, as I described it, when they started to question him, is this not Joseph's son, which I interpret as a question of his credibility, Jesus didn't back down. He doubled down. It was Jesus who fired them up. They questioned his credibility, and he out-thought them, he out-talked them, he out-argued them. And the way he did it put them into a rage. He provoked them. And sometimes we need to be comfortable in doing that, in provoking thought, reflection, discussion. But sometimes we just need to provoke a rage. We never want to, but sometimes that's the result. And we can't be intimidated by that simply because it's a possibility. We don't want to anger people, but we can't shy away from the possibility that what we stand for does cause a great deal of consternation and anger for which people will blame us in the names they call us, in the accusations they throw at us. And yet we see this example just in that very first occasion in which Jesus reads the scriptures and preaches to his own people, his own hometown. And it ran the gamut of emotions. Rapt anticipation. High praise. Skepticism and questions of credibility. And intense anger 
that led to the people wanting to throw Jesus over the cliff. And so those are just a few of my thoughts as we enter into this new year, or more accurately continue this new year. It's been a couple of weeks, not as new as the new year tends to be at the new year. But it's something we might perhaps think about as a resolution of thought and attitude and expectation as we go forth in the year 2022. What is it we stand for? How do we emulate the values we believe in and try to live and teach our children? How have we seen other people do that in our society? We've seen, for example, parents at school board meetings standing up against the the curriculum that is being taught to their children. And their standing up for that has caused rage, even to the levels of higher government. But they have not backed down. They have gotten praise from those who agree with them because they stand with them. There's rapt anticipation with every school board meeting. What's the reaction? What's the behavior? What are the parents going to say at this board meeting? To the point where we say that we've seen school boards put strict restrictions on what's said and how it's said, even turning off a microphone at times. We've seen their credibility being torn down because, oh, these are just Christian bigots. These are Christian white supremacists. Why should we listen to them? We need to listen to the government who knows better what is good for children's education, other people's children's education. And we've seen rage at these parents. And we've seen how they have grown comfortable with that reaction and they have not backed down. That's an example that we see in our world even down to today, of what Jesus experienced when he stepped forward to begin his ministry of preaching the gospel and the kingdom of God to his own people. And so as a people living in a society that is built upon Christian values, built upon the principles of freedom and liberty and Judeo-Christian values, in which we have rights given to us by God, not by government, as we live our everyday lives as people and a population of this country, as families, as people of faith who try hard to live those values every day and teach them to our children in a society that at times can be very hostile toward them or at best skeptical, let's be comfortable. Let's grow in comfort with the possibility of all four reactions to that, which we see in that encounter that Jesus had with his own people rapt anticipation on the edge of their seats, high praise and appreciation, skepticism and attack on credibility, and anger at what Jesus stood for and what he said. So those are my thoughts on this first podcast in our return after our new year. I hope it gives us some food for thought as we move forward in a time in which, yes, we see a growing hostility toward us as people of faith, but also a growing boldness of people in professing that faith and insisting that the institutions of our society do not contradict those values of our faith that we, that you, try to teach your children in raising them. And we need to, as priests and preachers, as bishops, deacons, 
and as lay people, as teachers, any public figure really, need to be comfortable with all the ways in which people can react to what we stand for. We certainly hope for the high praise. We certainly don't intend to cause anger and consternation, but we cannot be intimidated by the skepticism and attacks on our credibility or the anger that what we stand for may invoke. And we need to be able to stand up for ourselves with knowledge so that we can outthink, outtalk, outdebate, and demonstrate the values that we emulate are the best values for us, for you, your family, your children, and our society. But there will be a reaction. It will not always be positive. So it's my hope that as we continue to go forward, as we continue to, in some ways, clash with our values and the values of secular society, that we'll see Christ as that example and other historical figures in our, from our church and from our nation who did not back down, who were firm in the values that they emulated and promoted of our nation and of our church and of our faith, and with Christ grew in comfort so that we can face all the many ways in which people could react to what we stand for and thereby continue to remain strong and firm in the values we believe, emulate, teach to our children, and hopefully be instruments in our society as a whole, living and emulating those values so that it can be part of the fabric of the community and the nation to which we belong. So those are my thoughts for this week. I hope they made sense. Maybe I'm a little out of practice, but we'll get there. But in any case, thank you for listening. And with any luck, I will talk to you again soon.